faith and life. For some people, they're parallel roads. They never come into contact with each other. One never influences the other. Yet for some other people, faith and life are more like intersecting roads. Often they're running opposite each other, but where they do intersect, wonderful God moments can be experienced. But yet for just a few, the two roads merge into one, and the results are truly a highway to heaven. What does the road of faith and life look like in your world? Well, this morning we're going to be closing out our message series, Biblical Battles, and I really enjoyed uh, going through this series with you guys. There's uh, so many different applications that we've been able to learn from these battles. I really saved uh, this last one for last because it's probably the one that's the most familiar to you. Uh, It's the story of David taking on Goliath. Now, most of you in here know the story. Um, David was too young to be a part of the army, uh, so his dad sends him with food because his brothers were uh, part of uh, Israel's army. And uh, he went and brought all this food from his dad to the battle lines. And when he brought him there, uh, David hears this person from the Philistines, this turns out to be a giant, this nine-foot-tall giant, um, mocking Israel, uh, mocking their God. And David was shocked to see that no one amongst Israel's army was willing to go and face off against this giant by the name of Goliath. Um, So David, now he's not old enough to be in the army, so we don't know how old he was, maybe 12, 13, 14, we don't know, but not old enough to be in the army. So this kid... He decides he wants to fight the Goliath, the giant Goliath. And so he goes before the king and, I mean, God's got to be at work here because why a king would allow a 12 or 13 or 14 year old to, to battle a giant? Well, I guess no one else was willing to stand up and do it. Uh, and then David starts selling himself saying, you know what? I, I tend my father's flock and listen, I've, I fought off a bear. I fought off a lion with my bare hands. I'm not intimidated by this giant Goliath. Saul eventually agrees and they put his armor, the king's armor on David, but David's just a kid and he can't move in this armor. So he doesn't even wear armor. And what you have is this kid that's going into battle against this fully armored giant, nine foot tall plus giant. And David's just got a sling and five stones. You know how the story goes. David uh, shoots one of the stones at Goliath. It hits Goliath in the forehead. Goliath falls to the ground. And what you didn't learn as you read the story to your kids in the children's Bible, what you didn't learn in Sunday school was after Goliath falls to the ground, David goes and cuts off his head. And then Israel routes the uh, the Philistines in the battle. Um, I say that story because it's, once again, the most probably famous battle in the Bible. But also, it's probably the most important because what I want to talk to you about today is faith. And faith is the foundation of our relationship with God. Um, think about foundation and the importance of foundation. We, we can't see foundations with our eyes, but you, you can't have a house uh, without a foundation or the house isn't going to stand and, and do well if it doesn't have a foundation. Now, a house isn't real tall, so the foundation isn't all that great. Uh, the slab's only probably uh, three to five or six inches here in Texas. Uh, it's got footings, though, that, that go a little deeper to 
to help keep it stable. And on a house, uh, in this area at least, uh, those footings go down maybe uh, two feet, 24 inches or so. Uh, but the bigger the structure, the, the greater the foundation. And so I've got this chart, if you will, and, and I apologize it's so small, but you can kind of get the concept. And, and you've got the buildings above ground, which we marvel at, these skyscrapers. I mean, like architectural geniuses. And how in the world do they do this? Well, they can't if it wasn't for a very deep foundation. So the smallest one there on your, on your left, it's the Wilshire Grand, and its foundation goes 90 foot deep. Then you got next to it the Willis Tower, and, and its foundation goes 100 feet deep. And then the, 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 the one kind of in the middle, the Taipei 101, its foundations go 262 feet deep. Think about that, like, like a 300-story building underground. The One World Trade Center goes 150 feet deep. The Shanghai Tower has the deepest foundation. It goes 282 feet deep. And then in Dubai, the last one goes 164 feet deep. And so we sit here and we admire the building, but the building could not stand if it wasn't for the foundation. But no one walks up to these buildings and say, wow, that is like an amazing foundation. In fact, we look at icebergs, and when you look at an iceberg, we're like, wow, look at the beauty and the majesty of the iceberg. Well, you're only seeing about 10% of the iceberg. The other 90% is underwater, and it's keeping it stable. I share this with you because that's how faith is. Faith is that foundation that we have in God, and we tend to admire, as we look, read the Bible and in Hebrews 11, the heroes of the faith and so forth, we, we tend to look at someone like David and be like, wow, a kid willing to do that. Wow, that's, that's just amazing. And we admire the person of David, but what we don't see is the only reason David's able to do that is he has faith foundations that go deep so that when the rest of Israel is trembling in, in, in their boots about, you know, going into battle against the Philistines or trying to take on Goliath, David doesn't have that. We're just admiring David. But what you have to admire is his faith that causes him to act that way. Or how about Samson? When you read about Samson in the Bible, Samson's able to take on all these Philistines. He has this great, amazing strength. Um, you know, he kills a thousand with a jawbone of a donkey and all this crazy stuff that doesn't make sense anyways. But, and we have all these portraits of this handsome, well-built, you know, whatever guy named Samson. The only reason Samson's able to do that is because of an amazing faith that he has. Or Peter. Peter's that guy who's able to walk on water, at least for a little while. Listen, it inspires us so that, like, you know, if you were familiar with that story, you probably, if you were ever on a boat, thought, all right, I'm going to be able to do it. Or, you know, as you walk out on your pool, and you didn't do it, you didn't do it. And, and so we admire that Peter's able to do it, but it's not about Peter, but it's about the faith that he had that allowed him to do it. Even in the Old Testament, we hear stories of Elijah and Elisha. They're able to do all these crazy miracles. They're even able to bring people back from the dead. And we can like be like, wow, how amazing it was to have that kind of power and, and, and just kind of admire them as a person as you admire the skyscraper. But the only reason you have that amazing like skyscraper, the only reason that you have that amazing person is they have this deep foundation that, you, that we don't even take note of. 
But none of it happens in those individuals if they don't have an amazing faith. And so as we close out our series this morning, I want to ask you, how deep is your foundation of faith? Because if we're going to stand up to the challenges that we're going to face in life, if we're going to be able to do a hundredth of what these people in the Bible did uh, that did these amazing things, we need to have a deep-rooted faith. Scripture says, first of all, about faith, it's the only way that we can actually please God. Look at Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. So, by faith, Enoch was taken up that he didn't ever see death. Enoch, this character in the Old Testament, he never had to die. He couldn't be found uh, because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, though, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now, why and how did Enoch please God? Well, it's by faith. Look at verse 6. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who approaches him must believe that he exists and must believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So listen, you can try to please God by all the good deeds that you do. That you do. You can try to please God by, you know, uh, uh, being really, you know, humble or being really nice or helping old ladies across the street. What, you're not going to be able to please. The only way that any of us can please God is by faith because faith is incredibly powerful. Look at Luke 17, 5 to 6. Now the, the apostles said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus replied, if you have faith, just even the size of a mustard seed, you'll be able to say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and plant yourself into the sea, and the tree will actually obey you. That's how amazingly powerful faith is. That's why David's able to do what he's able to do. Uh, Samson's able to do what he's able to do. Peter's able to do what he's able to do. Elijah and Elisha. It's because they have this deep-rooted faith that gives immense power. Faith is the only way we please God, and faith gives, gives us an amazing power. Now, because faith is so powerful... It's the only thing that can defeat sin, Satan, and death. You see, David in and of himself, had he's a kid. He had no ability to defeat Goliath on his own. It was simply the faith that he had, and I shouldn't say simply, it was this deep-rooted faith that gave David the power and the ability to, to slay the giant Goliath. It's only faith that gives us the power and ability to slay sin, Satan, and death. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourself. It's a gift from God. It's not by work so that no one can boast. You know, we like to think that, you know what, if you put your heart to it, your mind to it, there's nothing you can't achieve. There's nothing that you can't accomplish. We tell ourselves that all the time. We teach that to our kids. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter how much effort you put into it. You will never be able to save yourself. You don't have the ability to. You're not strong enough. It's only Christ's sacrifice on the cross, which we lay hold to through faith. That's the only thing that can defeat sin, Satan, and death. Now, here's the crazy thing. As I was working on this message uh, this week, I was just kind of researching, like, how, what percentage of Christians believe that 
the only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ. And I was shocked to find out, shocked, that somewhere between, in the most recent polls, somewhere between 60 to 70% of born-again Christians do not believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Do not believe it. Now, let me say born again. So when they survey groups of people, especially Christians, you have those people who claim to be Christians, but they're just cultural. They're Christian because their parents were Christian. They don't go to church. These aren't counted in that survey. Then you have people that are Christian, but they're very liberal, so they don't really believe that the Bible's true. And so they don't get counted in the survey. You even have people that maybe come a a few times a year. They're not counted in the survey. A born-again Christian is usually defined by someone who's very committed in their faith, uh, and they believe that the Bible is the Word of God. They're the cream of the crop. So I'm here to tell you that two-thirds of the cream of the crop Christians in in this country and probably in this world uh, do not believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Why? Why? Well, first and foremost, there's immense pressure into not believe that anymore. And we see that time and again. You even see it in the end of Billy Graham's life. You see, because as Christians, pastors, even when we're, when we're preaching in front of a friendly crowd, it's easy to say stuff like this. But when you're on Larry King, when you're being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey, And you're asked, so you mean to tell me that Christians are the only ones that are going to be saved, people that believe in Jesus, everyone else is going to go to hell. There's an immense pressure to be like, well, God's really big, God's this, God's that, I really don't want to save. His word says it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it was a confirmation verse. There's no other way to be saved or saved by God's grace through faith. But so there's this immense pressure on Christianity to acquiesce on that, to to, to, to just be a little wishy-washy on that. And frankly, a lot of us have a problem with hell. A lot of us have a problem that like God would send anyone to hell. hell. Hell's hell. And and so that makes us feel uncomfortable. Not only that, like we live in a a one world nation now, if you will. Like even in this country, there's people from all other kinds of ethnicities, backgrounds, cultures, religions. Everyone's kind of blended together. And and not only just in this country, but we have it in in terms of the whole world where maybe you're working with people of of other um, cultures and other religious beliefs and so forth. And listen, all of us in here have had family members who don't believe. And if we believe that Jesus is the only one to be saved, that means that people we know and people we like and people that we're related to and people that we work with won't be in heaven. And so there's just all of this tremendous force that causes us to to give on this. And so something that is incredibly clear in the Bible, two-thirds of your most dedicated Christians don't even believe. And so we come up with other ways in which, you know, you can be saved so that we can feel better about our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, or people that we work with maybe over in India or whatever. And so we come up with these other paths of salvation. Yes, we affirm the Bible says that we're saved by faith. Yes, we are. I believe it. That's how I'm going to be saved. Oh, but then there's other ways too. And so there becomes salvation by age. 
but I'm here to tell you that age has no power. Age has no ability to, to defeat sin, Satan, and death. Jesus has the ability to it, and faith is this incredible power that, that we, you know, when we have it, that God gives that destroys sin, Satan, and death. Age doesn't. Oh, but under a certain age, they're just cute. God will let them in because they're just cute. Or if they're over a certain age, I mean, why would God send this cute, you know, cuddly, like, 90-year-old to hell? And so, like, we look at age like somehow that's a path of salvation. Listen, we're all children of God. Let me tell you, do you love your kid less at 35 than you did at 3? I hope not. Age has nothing to do with it, and there's no power in age. Okay, but then there's the path of ignorance, because God wouldn't like send someone to hell that like didn't didn't ever have the chance to hear, and so we like to kind of come up with this thing to make us feel better that that like people that don't have opportunity to hear like that is a path of salvation. Listen, there's no power in ignorance. There's no power in ignorance to defeat Satan, to defeat death, and to defeat sin. If ignorance was a path to God. Then all of the early disciples, all the apostles who literally lost their lives, were skinned alive, were beheaded, were crucified upside down, they did all of that for nothing. It would have been better if they just said, my bad, no, never happened. Then we could all live in ignorance and we got a straight ticket into heaven. But they know what God's word said. Salvation doesn't come by ignorance. Salvation doesn't come by works and it doesn't come by niceness. Now, if you're an Oprah, she's going to say, you mean to tell me Gandhi, that sweet, cuddly, wonderful person, Gandhi is going to be in hell? And you'll be like, don't ask me that question. It makes me feel uncomfortable. And we all know people who are incredibly nice, but, but there's no power in niceness. There's no power in good. Paul says it's not of yourself. It's not a work. It's a gift from God. There's no salvation in niceness. And then we come up with the salvation by other religions. Well, I really believe that all these religions are kind of God revealing himself in different ways. And so if you're a good Baha'i and you're faithful to that, then you'll get to heaven. If you're a good Buddhist, if you're faithful to that, well, you're getting to heaven. If you're a good Muslim, then if you're faithful to that, you'll get in heaven. Where, where do you get that? Where in the Bible is there salvation by other religions? The last time I, I saw God was like, like having the false prophets of these other religions put to death. He was having them tear down the altars to Baal and the Asherah poles. If I remember right, when 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 Moses was before the priests of the God of Egypt and they threw down their staff that turned into snakes and was all that impressive. Moses throws his down and it's a bigger snake that eats up the others. Where in the Bible does God show that he's revealing himself through these other religions? Nowhere. And so Christianity has lost the greatest, the greatest thing in our religion and that's called faith. Faith. Because two-thirds of Christians, they don't think sin's that big deal. They don't think death is that big a deal. They don't think Satan's that big a deal. There's, they believe there's many ways to kind of get around that. If that's true, then every missionary that's ever given up their life for the sake of spreading the gospel did it in vain. 
If you can be saved by youth, if you can be saved by ignorance, if you can be saved by many ways of believing, Jesus didn't even need to come into this world and die. It was a waste of God's time because there's just all these other paths. What I mean to tell you is this, is I, I think what we miss out is what we miss out is the impossibility of salvation. There's no other way to be saved. Scripture said that while we were dead in our sins, do you know how bad dead is? I mean, do you see dead walking their dogs in your neighborhood? Do you see dead going through the drive-through at Whataburger? Do you, do you see dead out like on the soccer field? Dead's dead. If you're dead, you're dead. Scripture says we were dead in our sins. We were separated apart from him. It, it, it is impossible. But while we were dead in our sins, God sent his son into this world to redeem the world and that we're saved by God's grace through faith. I love in Ezekiel 37, there's this imagery in which there's this valley that's filled with these dead bones. And God tells Ezekiel to prophesy that they come back to life. And they're dead. They're not going to come back. But he prophesies, and all of a sudden, these dead bones start getting flesh on it. That's how we were. We were a valley of dry, dead bones. The impossibility of salvation and separation from God, yet through Jesus Christ, God's able to bring the dead back to life, and he does that through Christ's sacrifice in our faith. There is no other way. And if you can't accept that, then you don't understand faith, and you don't understand sin, and you don't understand death. I want to, in the remainder of the time that we have, talk a little bit more about what a deep faith looks like, and I just have a few points. The first is this. Faith that has deep foundations will reorient your perspective. Listen, as we look at life, and listen, life is messy, and there's a lot of difficult things in life. If you're looking at life through faith, you're going to see it differently. You know, Israel sitting there as a giant named Goliath is taunting them and taunting God. They're literally shaking and cowering because they know that if they go out, they're going to be snapped in half like a twig. But David looks at that Goliath through faith, and he doesn't see a giant. He sees it as an opportunity that glory will come to God. He sees it differently. And think about those who are fighting in Ukraine right now. Now, if you're looking at that through normal eyes and rational eyes, you have a David versus a Goliath. The Goliath is a superpower of Russia, yet the, the Ukrainians are standing up to him. It'd be really easy to look at the Russians and say, listen, we're going to be demolished and, and just to kind of lay it all down and surrender. But, but, but they don't because they just see it differently. You know, far too often pastors, when they're, they're afraid to preach the truth because they're afraid that if they say things, that they might offend enough of their members. And if they offend enough of their members, they're not going to be a pastor anymore and they're going to work at Home Depot. Or if I offend the person who gives the most, then, then maybe, you know, we'll lose all that money. And, and so pastors, like when, when you look at church and you look at ministry that way, sometimes you can be a little tentative in what you say and what you do because you, you don't want to be working at Home Depot and, and you need to be able to afford the ministry so they'll change what they say. Listen, when you look at that stuff through faith, you just don't worry about that. 
Some of you who work at jobs in which, you know, you have to go through that diversity training where you have to be willing to uh, put reality, reality on hold and, and, and see things in a perspective that is completely immoral, false, and dysfunctional. And, and, and if you don't, you're going to lose your job. In some school districts, teachers are, have to call kids by whatever pronouns that they want to be referred to, regardless if that, that's reality. And, and they go along with it because, you know, when you look at it with normal eyes, I'm going to lose my job. If I lose my job, I can't feed my family family. And, but when you look at it through faith, you see it different. Someone gets diagnosed with stage four cancer, stage four cancer. You, you know, you can look at it like, oh my you know, goodness, I, I think I'm going to die. Or, or if you look at it through the eyes of faith, like David, you're like, you know what? I'm going to beat this cancer. I'm either going to beat this cancer and live 30 more years, or I'm going to die beating this cancer and I'm going to live eternally. Either way I'm living. If you struggle with being alone, if you struggle with being persecuted, if you struggle with poverty and just all these different kind of things, we see it differently when we look at those situations with faith. You've heard the phrase, you know, people making a mountain out of a molehill. This is what people do when, when you don't have eyes of faith. When you don't have a deep-rooted faith, you look at a problem and, and it grows and, and the fear and the anxiety and, and all of a sudden this little molehill becomes a mountain. But I'm here to tell you when you look at, at, at problems uh, through faith, you can take mountains and they become molehills. Without faith, a molehill becomes a mountain. With faith, a mountain will become a molehill. We'll just see it differently. And not only with deep, uh, a deep faith will we see things differently, with a deep faith it will reorient our actions. We will act differently. And this is a big one. This is, this is the one that I struggle with because I really don't know how much we get it. Because when I look at this country, I just, you know, when, when I know people who are not believers and people who are believers, I don't see that they do anything differently. I, I don't see that they go to different places and, and, and that they live differently. But when, when we have a deep uh, foundation of faith, you're just going to process through life differently. You know, if you've, if you've got a shallow faith, then, you know, we operate by the principle of if it feels right, do it. I mean, whatever you want to do, if it makes you happy, go for it. That's not how someone of, of deep faith looks at things. It's not about, you know, if, if you really feel like it. If you've got a more shallow faith, racism and, and racist jokes, it's not a big deal. But you know what? If you've got a deep faith, it, it is a big deal. If you have a shallow faith, talking about other people and gossiping is not a big deal. But if you've if you got a deep-rooted faith, it is a big deal. If you've got a shallow faith, a perverted language, inappropriate language isn't a big deal. If you've got a deep faith, it is a big deal. Uh, take cussing, for instance. Anyone in here know someone of deep faith that just cusses like a sailor? I don't think so. Why? Because your deep faith says, you know what? It, no. I'm not going to live like the rest of the world. I'm going to be more respectful in how I talk. As someone of a deep faith doesn't go to strip clubs just because it's a, a work-type meeting. You don't go around getting drunk. You're not sleeping around. You're not looking at porn. You're not watching movies with bad morals. And you're not listening to music with ungodly lyrics. Listen, that's all that. But even with someone with deep faith, you, you don't look at fear the same way. You, you don't handle worry the same way. You don't handle doubt the same way. 
Someone with a deep faith that's going to manifest itself with different actions. We see that in the Bible. This tax collector named Zacchaeus, he was just doing what tax collectors do. Tax collectors collect tax, and then they collect a little bit more to pad their pocket. Zacchaeus was doing that all the time, and he was getting rich off the people by overcharging them. But after he encountered Jesus, after his faith started building deeper, then what does Zacchaeus do? He changes the way that he lives. He no longer steals from people, and he even goes and, and returns four times whatever he stole from everyone he stole it from. Look at, look at uh, Paul. Uh, Paul, after he encounters Christ's deep faith, he's no longer persecuting the church and doing all the, the evil and wicked things that he was doing before. And what he does do is he has a faith that becomes very deep-rooted, and now he starts going to these godless cultures like Corinth and so forth, where, where, where people are living very ungodly lives, and he comes and brings the gospel to them. Uh, he comes and, and brings faith to them, and that faith causes them to now start living differently than the culture in which that they are living. Faith will change how we see things. Faith will change how we do things. And we all need to be prepared because our faith will be tested soon. Scripture tells us that as the end of time becomes closer, the times are going to become more and more wicked. Listen, we saw evidence of that yesterday in Buffalo. Uh, the, the wickedness of racism, the r- wickedness of mass shootings. This world is wicked, not just because of the racism, not just because of the mass shootings, but it's wicked in, in, in how uh, we've defiled God's creation and defiled uh, his understanding of what a man is and what a woman is and, and, and just all of these uh, human life and all these different things. We're becoming more and more wicked. And as as the church, the church can either cave to that wickedness or we can be a voice against it. But if you're going to be a voice against it, you better have a deep foundation because there's going to be the temptation to cave, just like when you're on Larry King or you're on Oprah. Because listen, if, if as churches we're going to say Jesus is the only way to be saved, we're going to get some flack for that because people don't want to hear that. If we're going to say as a church that, that, uh, that your choice was when you chose to get pregnant, your choice isn't on whether or not to kill uh, human life inside you, churches are going to be protested and churches are going to be attacked for that. If a church were going to say marriage should be as God created a man and woman, we're going to get a lot of flack for that. If churches were going to be against them, you know, grooming our children to teach them all kinds of deviant uh, beliefs and orient- sexual orientations and different things in school to legitimize the perversion of this world. If as a church we're going to stand out against that, you better believe we're going to be attacked. And we're seeing that. Look at just this past week. You not only had protesters starting out protesting at the Supreme Court, but then they go to the justice homes. But then where did they go? They went to the churches. And they began to protest churches. Even here in Texas, there was a, a half a dozen or so churches that, that uh, were vandalized because of their strong stance uh, protecting the life of an unborn child. The days of persecution are coming not just to the churches, but to us as individual Christians. And you better have a deep-rooted faith. I've told you that, like, I would be shocked in whatever years I have left to in ministry, 15 years, maybe a couple more, a couple less, whatever, I'll be shocked if I don't receive a fine or or imprisonment or some sort of punitive measure for stuff that I'm talking about right now to you. And for you, if you're going to take a stand on God's word, you know that when the government's against what it is that we're saying and doing, uh, they just declare a special law, a special order, and they'll come in and they'll, they'll seize your bank accounts. They'll take your property. We've already seen that we might lose our ability to buy and sell when we don't go along with certain things. 
You might be denied a job or, or you might not be able to get the job you could otherwise get if you just would go, you know, go against your values and your beliefs. And the question is, is are you willing to, to work for half the, the amount because of, of your convictions and of your faith? You see, we got to be preparing ourselves now. If we aren't building those foundations now, when those storms come, we're going to cave. We're going to cave when they come and, and, and want to, uh, you know, take our property. They're going to cave when maybe potentially they're going to want to take our lives. You know, you can think of it as a foundation, but also think of it as a tree. You know, trees that have roots that go deep. Listen, in Texas, there's always going to be tornadoes. There's always severe thunderstorms. There's going to be hurricanes that, you know, come up from the coast and so forth. And there's going to be a tremendous amount of wind and rain at times. And, and when a really bad storm comes, what you're going to see is like in a patch of trees, you're going to see, you know, five or six trees down and a couple trees still standing. What's the difference between those trees and those trees? Because these trees have roots that go deep. And if, if our roots don't go deep, if our foundation and our faith isn't deep, then we are going to cave when the pressures of this world are upon us. Think about who you know in your life that has uh, really deep faith. Because we all know people like that. And we're either going to admire them or, or we may even resent them. And sometimes both. But I think the reason that sometimes we resent people with deep faith is it almost seems like they don't have the same problems and difficulties we have. But the truth is, is someone with deep faith has the exact amount of same problems and difficulties as someone with shallow faith. But a person with deep faith, they're going to handle them differently. They're going to be a little bit more disciplined in, in what they're doing. They're not going to allow the, the, the stresses of this world, you know, affect what they do and how they do it. And so from the outside, we're, we're kind of like looking at this and thinking, wow, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to have a skyscraper? Wouldn't it be nice to be like this? Wouldn't it be nice to not have any problems? But what we're failing to see is the reason that it's there it's not because they don't, it's because they have this immensely deep foundation of faith that keeps them strong during times of difficulties. I want to leave you this morning with a uh, passage from 2 Timothy 4, where Paul's talking to Timothy about the importance of standing firm in faith and truth um, as Paul was getting to the end of his life. From 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, Paul says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word and be prepared in season. Be prepared out of season. Correct people, rebuke people, encourage people, but do it with great patience and careful instruction. Because the time's coming, and I would say it is now, but when people won't put up a sound doctrine anymore, instead, to suit their own desires, they're going to gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they'll turn aside to the mist. Listen, this is where we are in the church today. People gather around them things that people say what their itching ears want to hear. They're going to turn away from the truth, and they're going to turn aside mist. This is the reason why two-thirds of all Christians, the strongest of Christians, believe that Jesus, there's some other way to God other than Jesus. It's because we've turned away from truths. We've turned to mist. Why? Because that's what people want to hear. And because we love them, we were not willing to tell them what, what truth is. We just tell them what you want, what, what they want to hear. But I'm here to tell you, if we really care about people, if we really love people, then we don't turn from this truth. Because there is no other way to be saved. 
Paul says, but you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. You're going to have to endure hardship. But do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. But Paul says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. Paul says, I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. What's a drink offering? It's when our blood, his blood, is about to be spilt on the ground for the, uh, for the sake of Christ. But he's fought the good fight. He's finished the race. Why? Because he's kept the faith. Are you willing to be poured out like a drink offering? Are you for God? Are you willing to starve for your faith? Are you willing to make half the amount of money for your faith? Are you, allowed to, are, are you willing to live in poverty for your faith? Are you willing to be hated for your faith? Are you willing to take a job that's going to pay you half of what you otherwise would get paid for your faith? Difficult days are ahead. May God build in all of us a deep foundation that will manifest itself in, in this faith that will stand firm under persecution. A faith that will motivate other people that see, I want what they have. A faith that will inspire other people. But ultimately, a faith that will bring glory to our ever-living and loving God. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, we just thank and praise you for this morning to be able to, uh, to celebrate these testimonies of faith of the confirmands. And I pray for these confirmands who are so young in their faith that you would build in them a deep-rooted faith. But as we sit here and listen to uh, their faith, gracious God, might we also be inspired to uh, have our faith become more firmly rooted. By the power of your spirit, give us, gracious God, a strong faith and a deep faith that we might, at the end of our lives, be able to say the same as Paul, that we've we finished the race, that we fought the good fight, and that we're looking forward to and excited to receive that, that gift, that gift of eternal life, that victory over sin, Satan, and death that is only conquered one way, by the blood of Jesus and our faith in him. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.